Thanks very much, Anthony, for hosting us here at uh, CUNY and uh, for all the great work that you do to uh, advance uh, uh, community-relevant education uh, and to, to make links between the uh, Asian American community and higher education. So uh, we're really excited to be part of this national book tour uh, to launch Asian American Workers Rising, Apollo Struggles to Transform the Labor Movement. And um, as Anthony said, I served as the founding president of the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance that was launched all the way back in 1992. So this year is our 30th anniversary year. And we put together this publication uh, specifically to uh, celebrate the 30th anniversary of the founding of Apala, but also to celebrate the remarkable uh, leaders and activists who over three decades have helped to build this organization and have helped to write a new chapter in Asian American labor history. So uh, with us today are my two very good friends, Alex Hing and Mei Chen, who are also founders of the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance and have played critical roles, not only in the labor movement and in their respective unions, the uh, Hotel Workers Union and the Garment Workers Union, uh, but also within the larger Asian American community. And so I'm going to share a little um, about how the book came into being and why we did it. And then I'll be um, uh, having an informal interview uh, with uh, Alex and May uh, and highlight some of um, uh, their um, articles, because uh, both of them were featured in this book. And uh, uh, it's so great that uh, uh, their voices are captured in this book and uh, some of the uh, extraordinary work that they've done over the years uh, is part of this um, this history. So, um, but uh, as I said, we had a, um, a five-member editorial team that uh, I, I recruited to work with us to put this together. Uh, Matt Finucan, who uh, worked with me as the founding executive director of Apollo when we launched the organization back in 1992. Uh, two of the recent Apollo officers, Kim Jerome, who's a uh, professor at the Cal State East Bay, and Tracy Lai, who was a professor at Seattle Community College. We also had um, Emily Israel, who is a um, PhD student at UCLA currently, but she also worked for eight years as an organizer for the AFL-CIO, and he's, she's very involved with the LA Apollo chapter. And then finally, we had uh, Julie Monroe, who's a very talented and skilled editor uh, who has worked with me at the UCLA Labor Center for many years. And so our motive in putting together this publication was to uh, celebrate the 30th, 30th anniversary of Apollo and to uh, claim this very uh, rich chapter in um, Asian American history and uh, the role of Asian Americans within the U.S. labor movement. Uh, as many of you know, this has not always been a uh, a friendly or a uh, welcoming environment for uh, Asian American workers. The founding president of the American Federation of Labor, Samuel Gompers, was a lifelong opponent of Chinese immigration, and he barred Chinese and other Asian American workers from joining U.S. unions. He, he thought that they were unassimilable, that they could not be uh, part of uh, the um, U.S. workforce and should not, and uh, barred them from joining U.S. unions. And so it was quite ironic when May, Alex, and I uh, were involved in a whole series of planning meetings in the year leading up to the formation of Apollo back in 90, 1992 that our first meeting was held in the Samuel Gompers room <laughs> of the AFL-CIO headquarters. And um, the, the wooden bust of um, Samuel Gompers was, uh, was looking down on us during our meetings and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we commented that he must be turning over in his grave uh, as uh, the uh, uh, group of Asian American labor activists from around the country were building, uh, for the very first time, uh, an Asian American organization. I also wanted to uh, point out the cover photo of uh, our book, and we went through hundreds of photos to choose the right one. But this particular photo was taken from the very first time that the Apala uh, national Convention was held in New York City, and that was back in 1995. And when we launched Apollo in 1992, 
One of the very first projects was the Apollo Organizing Institute that is still in existence 30 years later and has done more to recruit uh, a new generation of Asian American union organizers more than has ever existed within the history of the U.S. labor movement. Anywhere in the country, if you run into an Asian American union organizer, undoubtedly they went through an Apollo Organizing Institute or they were recruited or trained by someone who did go through an Apollo Organizing Institute. And uh, this is a photo by Courtney Lee, um, the extraordinary uh, Asian American photo journalist. And there are three individuals on the front cover of the book. The, uh, the person on the left is John DeLauro, who was a former student of mine at UCLA, who um, went on to become a uh, national president of the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance. Uh, standing next to John is Su Jin Lee, who still works with the Apollo National Office and is in the midst of our conducting our strategic planning initiative. And the third person on the front cover is Jennifer Sung, who has just been nominated by President Biden for a uh, federal uh, appointment on the Ninth Circuit. So um, uh, we actually hadn't planned that when we selected this photo, but um, uh, what, remarkably, all of them participated in an Apollo Organizing Institute back in 1994, and all three of them were recruited as organizers into the labor movement and worked as union organizers for many years. And so you see that the role of the Apollo Organizing Institute and Apollo at large has had a huge impact in uh, shaping the lives of an extraordinary new generation of Asian American labor and community activists over the past three decades. So with that brief introduction, I was going to um, open up my uh, questions, and I wanted to start with Alex uh, about, you know, because uh, Alex had a long history of activism within the Asian American community before the launch of Apollo, and I wanted you to talk a little about uh, that process of building Apollo, especially that uh, that year, and uh, why you uh, chose to dedicate so much time, energy, and effort to make this happen. I was... Uh chosen to be on the committee that put together Apollo. We, uh, the AFL-CIO Executive Council uh, decided that they needed to have a constituency group, so they put together this interim steering committee, uh, and I was chosen by my union to participate on that. Um, so uh, then, until I just retired, I've been a rank-and-file worker. Okay, so I always felt that uh, we need to ground Apollo in workers, people who actually work. So my participation in that was to try to, my, my vision of Apollo, and Apollo has been doing this, is to link the labor movement with the community. So I have a saying, you know, one foot in the rank and file, one foot in the community, and, and you'll be doing okay in the labor movement, right? So in that, that, that was my view of to try to make Apollo as uh, the best organization to organize Asian immigrants into the labor movement. And it was a fight. Uh, I was on the Constitution Committee uh, with Kent, and uh, we had these battles for trying to make Apollo more uh, able to organize the unorganized. So one of the big things that, that we approached was uh, the Constitution in the beginning, you know, we were handed like a template and then we had to fight for each clause, right? Uh, that you had to be an AFL-CAO member in order to be a member of Apollo. So I thought that that was very narrow. Uh, a lot of people want to join unions that are not in unions, and to have that as a criterion to be an Apollo member would hold us back. So these are things that we fought for and lost. <laughs> but the idea is that we kept on raising them. And I think at the last uh, Apollo convention, we did away with that requirement. So it took 30 years, but you know we, we had to start somewhere. So in my participation has been that, to 
try to make Apala an organization for ordinary workers, uh, for uh, immigrants, uh, to help us unite to uplift our our situation and to bring unions into into the Chinese community. That's great. Um, May, I know that uh, when we launched uh, Apala, you were uh, still with the Garment Workers Union, 20 through 25, right. and uh, uh, Asian American labor activists around the country were so inspired uh, by some of the work that was going on in organizing uh, New York Chinatown Garment Workers. And uh, at our founding convention, we had a whole choir of, uh, <laughs> of uh, Asian American Garment Workers who uh, performed and sang, and that really lifted the spirits of the entire uh, convention. One of the big uh, debates, as you may recall, at the founding convention was on the issue of immigration. And so I was wondering if you could share a little about uh, your own work around uh, the uh, fight for immigration reform, but also about how Apala was very involved in trying to transform the U.S. labor movement position with regard to immigrant workers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of amazing memories from the founding of Apala. Um, and I need to thank both of you for remaining so active in Apollo even to today. I've been retired for quite a number of years, and the garment union as well as the industry has really been battered and is nothing like it used to be. But back in those days, there were probably about 20,000 Chinese members of Local 2325, and that was just one local, which was concentrated in New York's Chinatown. And... Um, we used to routinely take busloads of these members to different rallies and programs and demonstrations in Washington, D.C. or around the city and so on. And it was a great source of pride to me that we took busloads of those members down to Washington for the founding of Apollo. And my first job in the union was working in a historical department called the Immigration Project which helped a lot of the immigrant members of the union of all backgrounds, not just Chinese, but you know, from all over, Caribbean, Hispanic, even African, and all the countries of the world, to help them with their immigration problems, whether it was routine stuff like becoming a citizen or something a lot more complicated like political asylum for Haitian immigrants or um, when there were shop raids and they arrested, the immigration service came and arrested workers, and we had to get them out and defend them in immigration court. So um, we were very, very impassioned about immigration because our members really needed to, um, to be defended and, and learn how to defend themselves, and immigration was just so core to who we were as a union and immigrant workers naturally to us were part of the American labor movement because they contributed so much as workers in the factories and you know they were part of New York and American life. So when the immigration law in 1986 passed there was this provision for the first time for employer sanctions which meant that the bosses had to police the immigration status of all their workers in the workplace for the first time. And our union was pretty much the only one that stood against that, um, in, but also in um, partnership with many of the communities, like the Asian community, Latino communities, and so on. Because this was just discriminatory and unfair to workers to have to prove their immigration status and there was resulting from it a lot of discrimination. Marion, sit here. So um, at the Apollo Convention, we had a resolution against employer sanctions. And it was heavily being lobbied against by all of the um, operatives of the AFL-CIO. So when I got up to the stage to introduce this resolution and call for a vote, I could see in the audience, and there were four or five hundred people at our first convention. It was a huge ballroom in Washington, D.C. And I could see all of those organizers of the AFL lobbying each of the union delegations to vote no on this resolution. And so I was standing there kind of feeling like, what's going to happen? And amazingly, we put it to a vote, and we won that resolution as well as other resolutions related to 
like U.S.-China relations and other stuff, which kind of went against the grain of the AFL-CIO, and for which I think Kent paid some political price afterwards with some lectures and talking to. But I was proud to be his first vice president, and that was a very memorable occasion and something that was, it was really something. Thank and you so much, May, for sharing those uh, stories, because uh, uh, what you said is true. It was, was very controversial for Apollo to be uh, going on record within the U.S. labor movement uh, opposing employer sanctions and fighting for full rights for undocumented immigrants uh, at a time when the U.S. labor movement was not there. And although we passed that resolution back in 1992, uh, we were so uh, pleased that in the year uh, 2000, eight years later, the national AFL-CIO actually made the change and uh, embraced a pro-immigrant rights agenda. So uh, uh, it was another reflection of how we were, you know, a little ahead of the times with regard to uh, moving the needle forward. We're so thrilled to have uh, our good friend Mary and Tom uh, join us today. Uh, Marion is also featured in our book, Asian American Workers Rising. Uh, I just came from the National American Federation of Teachers Conference, uh, Marion, in D.C., the Civil and Human and Women's Rights Conference. And um, I gave you a shout out um, as one of the uh, Apollo founders and leaders featured in the book. And uh, used to have a lot of fans at the National AFT, so, so uh, they all remembered uh, that uh, you were such a, uh, a, uh, uh, a key activist uh, within the um, uh, Asian American labor movement and also uh, within the Asian American community. So, um, Marianne, I was wondering if uh, you might be willing to share some of your early memories about uh, why you chose to invest so much time and energy in building Apala almost 30 years ago. Well, uh, you know, when the Apollo, you know, first started, I, you know, I was so happy to see something, you know, speaking for a Asians, because, I mean, I'm one of the old timers, and I know, you know, there was a lot of bias against, uh, you know, Asians. And you know, I lived in Chinatown next to Little Italy, which still had some uh, Italians living there. And I remember my mother walking down the street, and they were throwing garbage down at us. So, I mean, so when Apollo came about, I said, I'm participating in this. And um, I walked down the street one day uh, from one meeting to another uh, for UFT, and San uh, Sandy Feldman came along, and I said, you know, I want to be on that committee. So uh, she checked out what I was doing, and uh, so I got appointed, and so I was one of the founding men members, which, you know, I, you know like I believed in, Apollo, and I really went back and got people to participate. Thanks so much, Marion. Uh, Marion was always one of the uh, stellar organizers. She organized the annual uh, Lunar New Year um, celebration uh, in, uh, uh, in New York Chinatown that drew out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, community and labor activists. And uh, uh, she's been such a powerful force within not only uh, the United Federation of Teachers here in New York, but also uh, with the uh, broader New York labor movement. So great to have you, Marion, and I'm so glad that we're uh, featuring you in our new book. I wanted to get back to Alex, because I know that uh, one of the points that Alex raised um, was how there's always been this tension in this battle about both being part of the U.S. labor movement, ha having a, a home within the labor movement, as well as uh, not always agreeing with the uh, official policies. And one of those was very much... Um, who our membership should be. Should we only limit our um, membership to union members, uh, or should we be building a broader uh, labor community base within the um, organization? But I wonder if you could uh, reflect, uh, Alex, on that uh, tension in terms of, uh, on the one hand, we were part of the AFL-CIO, we were an organization of the labor movement, and on the other hand, we use that as a vehicle and as a platform to advocate for uh, other positions. Yeah, that, that's a, a good question. Uh, belonging to unions is a right that, that Asians have been denied. And that's why uh, those of us who formed Apollo really wanted to go in there and, and basically kick down the doors of the labor movement to get into. It's our right to be equal to every other worker. However, the labor movement then and now, in my opinion, is dying. And unless it looks at its, what it does differently, 
it will be irrelevant. Uh, losing members. I mean, in 30 years, the AFL-CIO has not gained members, it's lost members. The unions that actually have gained members are unions with large numbers of Asians and other immigrants, women. And that's what we brought into Apollo from the very beginning. We wanted to change the labor movement. Uh, so one, it's our right to be in there, but when we're in there, we're in there to create change. We want to have the labor movement understand that, um, that there are people who need to get organized at their workplace, to have power in their workplace. And some of the old unions, you know, that like we call them white unions, that, that pass down their membership from father to son uh, and don't do any organizing, uh, to turn their backs on whole communities that are suffering under capitalism uh, that need to be uplifted, you know, that, that's, that's the duality that we're in there as a right, but we're going to use our right in there to rescue the labor movement. It needs new blood. It needs uh, immigrants. It needs women. It needs people of color. Thank you. Um, May, in your earlier comments, uh, you talked about two big flashpoints at the founding convention. One was uh, Apollo's position on immigration, which uh, substantially deviated from the official policy of the AFL-CIO. And the second was that there was a lot of pressure on uh, Apala to adhere to the Cold War anti-communist policies that had been embraced by the AFL-CIO for so many years. And so we actually refused to embrace uh, this anti-China policy that um, uh, was uh, uh, pushed on us by the, the former leadership of the AFL-CIO. I know that you have directly been involved in building um, global solidarity and in developing um, exchanges with uh, you know, uh, workers of China. So I, I, I was hoping you could talk a little about Apollo's role in uh, changing the labor movement's stance uh, and positions with regard to um, Asia. Um, you're probably the better person to speak about this, Ken. And <clears throat> I also wanted to check before I answer the question with Anthony whether um, Stephen Moy or Lenny Moy have gotten on the Zoom, because uh, yeah, Lenny Moy. Yeah, yeah, because Lenny is another old timer that had something, some things and memories to say about the founding of Apollo. Okay, so after I answer this question, maybe they can each say a little bit, although I don't know if we'll be able to hear them here, but. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, so when Apollo formed, and I, I, I felt fairly strongly that while I had different, I mean, I had quite a lot of experience already dealing with international relations, because my union had sent me to Hong Kong as well as to Japan, and then I was aware of things that were happening in China with labor. Um, but we, we didn't want Apollo to fall into the stereotype that we're a bunch of foreigners. So at the beginning of Apollo, I know I felt very strongly, and I think the organization worked mainly on issues of Asians in America and the workers and their condition and how we can organize them in the United States to become part of and integrate into the American labor movement. So I wanted to just say that first because at the beginning of Apollo, we had, you know, we kind of had this discussion and I think within the Asian American movement there was always always this thing, are you Asian or are you Asian American? And I mean, I'm happy we're at Ari because Ari has managed to do both. And I, I do believe that we need to do both. So on the, International affairs front, I think that all I would say is that the Asian Americans, especially many of us who came from immigrant backgrounds, always had very strong passions about the country that they came from, whether it was the Filipinos or the Chinese or the, you know, whoever it was, Vietnamese. Um, and from China, it's a complicated issue because the Chinese come from all different places. But the AFL-CIO has had this very unilateral Cold War attitude on foreign relations and on international relations. 
which was very, um, you know, very insensitive to the feelings of the immigrants who come from those countries. I mean, I had a colleague from El Salvador who used to call the AFL the AFL-CIA because she always felt that the AFL played a role of propping up these very corrupt and anti-worker governments in the Central American countries. And in the same way for China, Vietnam, and, and any countries that were communist, the AFL had a knee-jerk reaction to always be against them and to just fall right in line with China bashing and there's nothing good that can be said about China. And so I think that Apollo, in standing up for um, China and not being we're from China and we're standing up from China, but just standing up for a fair view of China and the Asian countries, I think we were also going against the grain a little bit. And I think that, you know, you can probably talk a lot more, but I went with Kent to Vietnam and a lot of us has taken international exchange trips um, and met the union people from these countries. And I ran a program in CUNY that did a lot of um, after retirement international exchanges with China and um, you know workshops on collective bargaining, labor rights, and so on, health and safety. Thanks so much, May. So I really uh, uh, appreciate you know the pioneer work you've played not only with uh, immigration and uh, immigrant worker rights, but also uh, the exchanges that you've been personally involved in in terms of building global solidarity. So, so thank you for that work. Um, do you want to turn to uh, 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 Steve and Lenny Moore? Stephen is our fearless chapter president and a national officer of Apollo in kind of a, the, our younger generation. But because of the terrible rainstorms this morning, he was handling elect electricity and rain issues for his union, which is the electrical workers. <laughs> so go Thank ahead, Steve. Hi, Ken. Hi, Alex. Hey, Hi, Ben. Hey. Hi, Marion. How's everybody doing? Hope everybody's well. Yeah, sorry I couldn't be there. I got held up at work, and by the time I got finished with work, it's just, this, you know, with this weather, it's just crazy. Uh, so I'd like to welcome everybody for coming. Uh, I know uh, during these tough times with everything that's going on, I'd like to thank Kent for his time. I know he's in D.C. doing this as well. I'd like to thank Alex and May and Marion. So... Um, I've been listening and, uh, you know, and I, I wouldn't call myself a fearless young leader. Uh, I'm a little over the young age right now. So I'm kind of like middle in the middle point, but, uh, the support that the New York chapter has and, and, and with all the other organizations, uh, really helps, I think, Apollo move in a direction. We, I mean, we've come a long way in 30 years, but like Alex said, we have a long way to go. Uh, Apollo has more room to grow within the labor movement and within the API community. And I think we need to do a little bit more as a generation where we need to involve more of the youth into it. Uh, New York is a, is a different dynamic from the West Coast. Uh, we just uh, have a little bit, uh, uh, I think everything's always a rush, rush here in the East Coast with us. And, you know, Getting the younger people involved has always been uh, a challenge. And I think that, you know, telling stories and having the, the people who formed the pile originally that could talk and relate to, you know, tell the experience of how things used to be, be as opposed to now where the struggle is real. And the struggle has changed a little bit in a different dynamic where it's, I'm not going to say blind to the APIs where, where, you know, but it's not as much like in the construction where, as it was back then, uh, people have adapted to the aging community. We just don't have in the, in the construction and we don't have as many, I would say APIs as we should. Uh, and there are plenty of them out there in the non-union community that we can try to be organizing. But the problem is we have the language barrier. And that's always an issue, I think. And to overcome the language, we have to we have to incorporate members and people that are willing to step up to help break that barrier, to help out. 
APIs in, in, in New York, let's say, and uh, throughout the country as well, because that's always an issue. And, and, and we have to get more involved in the communities, which is great, you know, which is a great thing. Like I know LA does a lot of things with the community and, and certain in, uh, community centers, which is great. Sorry about that. I'm kind of driving and like a lot of noise, but you know, uh, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the stories and I really can't wait to get the book to start spreading it out and actually spreading the word. And, and, I really wish we could do more of these things uh, 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 on, on more of a, a level where we can get more people. I know we reached out to a lot of the members in Apollo itself, but I like to reach out to people that are not a part of Apollo to get them to realize what Apollo is really about. And I think this is really a great way to do it. Uh, so like, again, I'd like to thank you for the time and anything I can do to help, I will. Uh, you know, I'm only one person. Uh, but the chapters are, is, is, is quite big. And we have a lot of members that I think that once given a task or given something to do, they're willing to step up and, and, and fulfill the needs of the API community in Apollo and the labor movement. Thank you, May. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Marion. Thanks so much, Stephen. So um, uh, as I may indicated, Stephen Moy is the uh, uh, New York chapter president of, uh, uh, of Apollo and uh, He's also a leader within the um, Electrical Workers Union and hard at work on a rainy day in New York City. Uh, but what's great is that, uh, uh, that uh, Stephen's dad, Lenny Moy, uh, also a leader in the Electrical Workers Union, was a founding member of Apollo. And um, uh, it's so great that there is this uh, multi-generational quality to Apollo and that, uh, uh, you know, literally we have parents and, and children uh, who have uh, helped to build this organization. Um, and so uh, it's great that uh, uh, Stephen is not only the chapter president here in New York, but also one of our national officers. So thanks so much for uh, joining us by phone. Um, you know, uh, New York is the largest chapter, and uh, I think that the person that uh, deserves the most credit for that historically has been Marion Tom, who has been a relentless organizer and has done more to build uh, the New York chapter than anybody else and aggressively go out and recruit people and make sure that they... Uh, pay their dues, come to the events, and come to the convention. Uh, but Marion, reflecting on you know the 30 years of Apollo, um, what do you think you're most proud of in terms of uh, what Apollo has been able to accomplish over these 30 years? Well, you know we've been able to reach a lot of Asian Americans who would not have participated if we didn't reach out to them. And you know I happen to work in the Chinatown area, and so we had you know a number of Asian Americans working there. So I. Everyone that worked in that school that was Asian signed on. <laughs> and, you know, and Virginia, who worked uh, a couple blocks away, she was able to sign on her folks also. But I also had a lot of UFT members who were not Asians, but they joined because they were supporting me, which, I, you know, I was right, very glad to see, you know, that I had all this support behind me. So that's one reason I think the New York chapter was the largest chapter in Apollo. Yep, always has been. And, and thanks to you, Marians. We appreciate uh, Can you uh, call on Lenny? Lenny, are you still on the uh, phone? Can you uh, join us and say a few words about your memories of Apollo if you're with us? Good afternoon, you guys. Uh, I'm glad to see that some of us old timers are still around. Uh, I, I'm sorry I'm not there with you, but. Um, Due to the real concerns at home, I I can't be. I want to I want to have a couple of recollections about the founding members and and uh, the 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 pre meetings that we had going back before the convention, when I first met you, Kent, in Washington D.C., and when I first I mean I was uh, I was dumbstruck by the amount of uh, participation from the West Coast and Hawaii because, you know, we were a little insulated. Well, I was a little insulated in New York City. Um, Alex wasn't. Mary, uh, Marion wasn't. She had some exposure and so did, uh, so did May. I mean, but I'm looking at people from all over the, the country coming together and trying to form something. And like it or not, we all bring, we all brought our personal uh, interests and 
for lack of a better term, what we considered was important. And the process of, of, uh, of democratizing those, those different views was inspirational to me because everybody had to give a little, everybody had to figure out what the other person was doing and everybody had to figure out what was the best course of action to get Apollo off the ground. The name in and of itself was a pain to try to get through. I remember Guy Fujimura came up with PAW, P-A-W, Pacific American Workers. I'm saying, that's a great catch line, but I don't know if it's going to fly. Uh, I met our brothers and sisters from Hawaii. I was, I was impressed by their, their cohesiveness uh, coming from an island that was predominantly Asian in its labor force. I think 70% of Hawaii at that time was, uh, was unionized. Unheard of. Even in New York, we only had maybe at best 70% unionized workforce. And then I met a, a woman like Marion Tom, who was the unofficial mayor of, of Chinatown. You couldn't go down the block in Chinatown without somebody stopping her and saying hello to her. It was amazing. Simply amazing. Mayor you know, she was a she was a she was a dynamo in our in our community. The old ILGWU, uh, we all had members and family members that were part of that union, and we we grew up with it, so we understood the struggles that they went through. And then I met Alex, and Alex was a a person of a different a different uh, dynamic, shall we say? I I learned I learned from him. I'm still learning from him. And, you know, we, we met people from different, different social backgrounds that wanted to make this work. Irregardless of what we thought individually, we all wanted to make something work called Apollo. One of the greatest things that I remember is when we got invited to the AFL-CIO and we were all standing beneath the statue of one of the, I guess, the founder of the afl Samuel Gompers, who was one of the staunchest anti-Asian persons in the world at the time. If, if it wasn't for the publicity photo, I would have given him a, a hello sign from New York City. But I, I, I felt immense gratification that we had made that particular stride, even though it's, it, it was uh, symbolic, that we had reached the halls of American labor and we were trying to put our personal stamp on what American labor, quote unquote, means. Uh, I think that the AFL wanted, to, like like Alex said, they wanted us to step in line and and total line with all these different things. And they got a bunch of different people. You know, I mean, for lack of a better term, we said, "Well, we're going to walk our own way." I remember somebody saying in one of the pre meetings when everybody was when when the the AFL people were bringing up, well, we got to do this, we got to do that. Somebody stood up and said, listen, pal, just like this. We did this before you, and we'll do this after you. So we don't necessarily need the AFL to do what we're doing. If you want to join us, that's great. But if you don't, New York can walk its own way and still organize. So can San Francisco, so can L.A. Those were the three big chapters at the time. And we were, we were just as happy doing our own thing. And they were dumbfounded. They, they didn't get it that, that we were that independent. And, and one of those reasons, like I said, you know, Mei Chen had, had his, had hit his stature with ILGWU of being, a, I think, either an assistant business manager or a manager, uh, the business manager of that local at the time. How could you beat that? I mean, you know, we had leadership capacity. We had people that were dynamic enough to lead our communities. We didn't necessarily need the AFL, but we did want their support. And we, we finally found the middle ground. And that was a great thing. Um, I met people, like I said, that I never thought I would meet in my lifetime. I am grateful. I am humbled by the people that I've met. We've walked in... We've walked in the footsteps of people, of Asian Americans in particular, who fought the good fight. 
They had to fight. There was nobody giving them a break. No one. All they looked at us is they said we were coolies. We were no good people. We were we were scum of the earth as far as some of these guys were concerned. And my union, they looked at me and they go, what are you doing here? Uh, you know, I'm, Vietnam had just stopped in 1972 when I joined the union. And they looked at me like I was a pariah, half the guys. But we survived. We persevered. And here we are. I'm happy that you wrote a book, Kent. I'm happy that we have made a footnote in American labor. And hopefully the people that follow us will understand the sacrifices that we, as as Apollo founding members, going forward, have done for, for this organization. A great thing. Uh, I don't minimize it because I look at what we do as uh, groundbreaking. Nobody else is doing it. We stood up and said, we, we're going to take, we're going to take a shot at this. And if we get knocked down, we get up. And that's what we did. A couple of times we had a couple of, uh, interesting conversations at the, con- at the conventions. Uh, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of belly pumping, but we still came together and we, we made it work. And that's the important part that people saw the reason behind what we do and they made it work. Thank you for the time. I appreciate you uh, letting me have my say here. It's a great thanks so much, thing Lenny. to see you. Um, uh, thanks for sharing those reflections and those memories. Uh, uh, we remember from the very first meetings that uh, Lenny pulled together an amazing team of uh, uh, parliamentarians <laughs> and, uh, and security folks who, uh, who ran the convention uh, top to bottom. And uh, uh, your dedication and commitment to Apollo over the years really uh, shined through. And uh, just please uh, give our love and send our best wishes to your wife, Lenny. So um, I'm going to ask a couple more questions of our panel, and then uh, we have a few other uh, friends in the room if you have questions to add on as well. Um, but uh, uh, at this critical time, you know, May, during the um, uh, pandemic, we have seen an alarming rise in anti-Asian violence. And um, uh, all over the country, you know, uh, many within the Asian American community feel like we are under siege, that there has been uh, senseless um, uh, attacks, uh, the killing of six women in Atlanta, Georgia, um, in March of this year. Um, and I'm just interested in getting your uh, thoughts on um, uh, the current anti-Asian climate and uh, what we as Apala uh, or other leaders within the Asian American community uh, should be doing. Yeah, it's it's a very sobering time because while we're old enough to have lived through other waves of racist attacks and and so on. Um, This period of the pandemic and this whole accusation about the China virus and so on has been so virulent. And then the killing of those women in Atlanta was just totally devastating to me because these women were just making a living going to work. And to just have somebody come in and shoot them down just was so senseless and horrifying. And I mean, it was the the only thing that was helpful was that at least we had their names and acknowledgement in the media afterwards, quickly afterwards, and their families and so on. Because too many times when there have been waves of anti-Asian violence, they're like faceless, senseless killings. And you don't, it really dehumanizes the, the Asian people further. And I think that it's been helpful in this recent um, experience that there are a lot more Asians, especially young people speaking up, and um, that the news media is treating these victims as people and as people who have lives and who should be remembered. Um, we, We have in our audience Chris Kwok, who's really done a lot of work on the current situation, as well as my husband, Rocky. So maybe when we have more discussion, they can comment on it. But I think there's a lot that Apollo can do because we're an organization rooted in workplaces. And it's good for people in workplaces, which are by nature very diverse. You know, we have 
like Marion was saying, she recruited a lot of non-Asians into Apollo because we work with coworkers of all different backgrounds. And it's important for our diverse American society to, to have compassion for the Asians and to speak up together with the Asians, just as Asians should speak up against, you know, hate against the um, Blacks and Latinx and other people, because we're all part of the same um, community. Thank you, May. Um, Alex, I know that one of the last trips that we took together before the pandemic was uh, uh, we were a part of an Apollo delegation to Okinawa and to Japan. And I know that uh, you've done writing on uh, uh, the peace movement in Vietnam. You know, you have been uh, uh, tracking some of the developments in Asia. But uh, maybe you could uh, share some of the takeaways about, you know, Apollo's role in um, building uh, solidarity within the Pacific Rim. Yeah, uh, that a lot of that has to do with you. I mean, Kent has been going around um, forging ties with different labor movements, uh, you know, in the Pacific Rim. I, I think you know, it, that's important work, particularly now that we see uh, what the Biden administration is trying to start another Cold War with China. Um, you know, uh, having worker-to-worker solidarity, union-to-union solidarity with uh Workers and, and, and countries in, in the Pacific Rim is, is of utmost importance. Um, the way I got uh, involved, of course, you know, is still in the peace movement, and I'm still there. Uh, to me, uh, well, Clement is bumping it, but <laughs> uh, the most important issue is peace. That's what I dedicated my life to. And um, so going to Okinawa, even though I knew... Uh, what the people in Okinawa have been through, that they are an indigenous people, that they are fighting, you know, for their own rights against both the U.S. and the Japanese, how much the Okinawan people really love and desire peace. I have never met a more peace-loving people than the Okinawans, and I've met a lot of people. And uh, all they want to do, and their land is beautiful. This is the Hawaii of, of Japan. And the, the United States and Japan are destroying their environment. And all they want is peace. And I think that, um, okay, when I was in the Constitution Committee, I put in that in our principles that we want to promote world peace. So I put it in there as one of Apollo's principles. And so I think that um, uh, we need to do that because we're building solidarity, not just as workers, but we want to build a world of peace. This is why, this is what we want to do. So that this is what I think uh, one of the missions of Apollo is not just to promote unionism, to get better wages, better conditions, but there is a larger picture that we all should be engaged in. Thanks so much, Alex. And um, uh, thank you for lifting up the uh, uh, experiences that we had in Asia. Uh, uh, many labor and peace activists from Japan and Okinawa have come to the Apollo Convention. And it's just uh, so inspiring to build this uh, uh, cross-border solidarity and to learn from some of the struggles which are uh, so much connected to uh, what we are doing here in the U.S. So we have a few more minutes. Uh, would uh, Chris or Minju or uh, Rocky like to uh, join us to uh, comment or raise a question? As someone who grew up playing at the footstep of my mother in a garment factory in Flushing and having bags of clothing at home for many years, this strikes very close to home. Uh, the owner of the garment factory would host workers at her home in New Jersey. This is the early 80s. And I remember going there and got a pool, you know, it was just amazing. And we live in fairly, you know, modest circumstances. We were immigrants as well. So this is all very real to me and also very interesting. And I think I take Alex's point about the present and the future. The labor movement, particularly as it comes to Asian American communities, is under great stress. The garment industry, which formed the backbone in New York City, is essentially gone, right? Um, I do see, and, and I teach this, and I talk about how the, the, the era of union membership in America has peaked and has long gone. And I wonder, is it going to be dead, right? Um, I do see, and I want, want sort of your answer or your, your thoughts, 
on what's happening right now in the middle of COVID-19. And we see the great resignation, people sort of rethinking their relationship with work and about what their workplaces own them, owe them, right? And, you know, particularly for Asian Americans and those that are immigrants and children of immigrants, I think there's a sense of trying to escape a working class or like a non sort of credential job is like the number one, two and three goal, you know, that you, you, you have to escape this. And so that's why perhaps one of the things, the difficulties in getting a second or third generation is that, right? How do we, how do we deal with that along with the hope of, I think, the great resignation offering a new um, compact between people, workers, and their jobs? And that's the question I want to pose to you. Thanks very much, Chris. Why don't we uh, take a co- another couple of comments and then we can open it up. So, Minju. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. I love hearing these stories about the early days of Apollo, so I'm so glad to be here. Um, I was actually wondering about the book. Can you maybe tell us about kind of the the origins of the project, maybe sort of some things about it, what maybe what didn't make it on the page, things like that. <laughs> Happy to address that. Rocky, and then we'll answer the questions. Uh, I guess I'm just thinking about the founding, uh, the congratulations on the book and all the other books. You know, we're here with Ari, which is also putting out uh, publications and uh, just like to, you know, commend you because as you know, we're all kind of also been struggling. Minju is a new professor and, you know, struggling to get Asian American studies not to be marginalized. I think it's a similar struggle in some ways, but I, I, I do remember uh, being part of the original, <laughs> the original founding and being in Washington. And as I recall, as you recall, uh, this is the same year of the Los Angeles uh, uh, uprising or whatever we want to call it, the whole horrible kind of conflicts that came up. And I remember we got calls from New York City. Uh, I work for the Human Rights Commission. Uh, and um, it makes me think think also about how we look at race issues and interracial um, uh, work. And the workplace organizing is such an important part of that. Um, what I thought was really wonderful about the Garment Workers Union when it was really at its height was uh, the comparison between the fact that many of the members, the women particularly, were monolingual, and yet they were exposed to much more diverse political and community and all kinds of activities and thought and exchanges than their, and I'm generalizing, than their husbands in many cases who were toiling away in the restaurants, but were not in the union. And I think that that aspect of being in a, in that kind of union where you uh, either through your coworkers or through the organizing efforts of the union, this is like more of a social union effort, but I think that's, um, one of the great examples historically of the positive aspects of the union movement was to involve members in the politics of the community of the country. And uh, so um, the reason I'm thinking back to that time in 1992, right, uh, is that um, New York didn't blow up like LA. And I think large part of that was also because of the work that we've done both in terms of Apollo. Um, Apollo was founded by organizers, you know, people like yourself or Alex or May or Marion did not just overnight become organizers and Asian American activists. You've all come with other kinds of histories. And I think um, the fact that New York was pretty well organized, that New York was a very union town, that there's a lot of connections uh, all that played into keeping the peace in New York at a time when other cities, particularly L.A., blew up. And we don't value that enough. The, the, the loss of the union movement and the unions nationally is a very serious threat, I think, to the social fabric. And I'm not saying every union is great, but the positive aspect of what the unions can do and have done in the past uh, really need to be examined and and Chris's question is, is a good one because we're going through kind of a sea change of a new generation and also maybe address some uh, of that. With regard to what motivated us to put together the book, um, we knew that we were coming up to the 30th anniversary of the founding of Apollo. And we knew that we wanted to capture and write 
our own history. Uh, that uh, uh, we think that there is value in uh, capturing the voices and the stories and the narratives of people who are making history uh, in real time. Uh, so the fact that we were able to get uh, an interview with Mary and, and May and Alex and uh, so many of the extraordinary uh, activists and leaders who built this organization is a true gift uh, because each one of them and the so many others bring a unique set of experiences, uh, you know, movements, struggles uh, to Apollo. And um, uh, as Rocky said, all of us had histories before Apollo. Uh, many of the founding executive board members um, entered the U.S. labor movement with a distinct view to generate social change. And this whole notion of uh, Apollo's struggle to transform the labor movement, it was not an accident. It was not a, um, uh, an incidental feature of what Apollo was all about. It was about entering this uh, institution that had historically kept us out, that had historically said, Asians have no role in this labor movement. This is not yours. Go back. Uh, and to understand that we had a duty and responsibility to enter this institution and to change it uh, for the better. And so uh, if you look at all of the major fights around immigration, around labor community alliances, about lifting up a new generation of Asian American Union organizers, organizing the unorganized, and challenging the right-wing Cold War agenda of the AFL-CIO that had been aligned with some of the most reactionary forces within the U.S. military uh, and the U.S. government for generations. Uh, these were not small things that we were taking on. Um, and so what I'm so proud about about this book is that it um, lifts up the voices of the very people who helped to uh, make that history. So, um, so um, we would really encourage uh, folks to distribute the book, get it out there, especially now during the um, pandemic, during this horrendous rise in anti-Asian violence. It is important for us to share the stories of uh, the true uh, Asian America that exists and those that have fought for justice over uh, many generations. Um, so if I may, um, here I go again. I'm famous for doing this, okay? Uh, I don't want to extend the amount of time that we have, but I think your question about the great resignation uh, needs to be addressed. Uh, and I think that um, when the pandemic first hit, New York was the worst, right? In the very beginning. So when it hit, I thought we had a lockdown. I said, I want to thank the virus for giving us a general strike. <laughs> that was the first thing that came into my mind. This is a general strike. We go back to work on our own terms. This is what I thought. And now today, there are more strikes going on than have been since the 80s. The workers are really feeling, you know, that, that what we've been missing, now we're going to go back, just go back on our own terms. But I want to say is that, okay, so I had just stepped down from the Apollo board because I want to turn it over to a younger person, a woman. But being in the organization and seeing how it has transformed. Uh, so you got a bunch of us geezers here, you know, uh, Stevens here, but, you know, um, the younger people are facing a far more dangerous situation than we have mainly because of climate change, right? So we're going to all have to survive this. And it provides, again, with a new way of looking at doing things because the situation is changing. We're getting down to a situation where it's really visceral, really life and death. And um, that calls for a new way of thinking. And so when I stepped down from Apollo after you know, new generations of activists, these young people, it's all on them to figure it out and to help us make the change so that while there are different things, people don't want to go back to, why should I go back to that kind of job? Why should I even go back to college? What am I going to get out of that? 
Um, so all these questions uh, people are facing, and these are real questions. I think that one of the things about Apollo is that we've been able to survive so long <laughs> that we're actually able to see these changes and help foster uh, new ways of looking at things. But I think we quickly forgot the people who bought our food and who went to the supermarkets and were paid you know, wages that would not support a life of dignity. And I think... I had never quite appreciated that, even as someone who, you know, was involved in these issues, um, and a labor and employment lawyer. Um, so I really was like, sh- like struck by who is essential. So really bringing that to a very fine point. And I fear we have forgotten that mm-hmm. as we halfway come out of the pandemic. But I hope that we don't, because I, I think that as a society, we should now recognize the delivery workers on those bikes were essential and heroic in a way that we shouldn't quickly forget and that we underpay them and we mistreat them on so many levels. So I really hope there's something we can do about that. And I certainly want to be a part of that, but trying to figure out how we can sort of spread that understanding because I think we we so quickly forget. Yeah. I would just take off from where, what Chris was saying, because I've been saying this a lot in different talks that I'm doing. I think what Apollo really taught me in a very essential way was the dignity of work. And it doesn't matter what work you do. I think among the Asians, there's too much emphasis on you have to get good grades and get into the top college. And then after that, you have to be a businessman, a lawyer, a doctor, or a professional. But in Apollo, people do all kinds of jobs. And some of them are intellectual, but some of them are menial. But there is a dignity in work, and there's a solidarity on the workplace floor that's very important to develop, and that the um, workers really need to um, have rights and have some um, say on their working conditions. So, I mean, I'm not quite as anarchistic as Alex is. (laughs) People have to go to work. (laughs) But um, I, I agree with him that watching this whole phenomenon of, you know, all the strikes and rebellions, it's, it's a good thing, but I hope that it comes together, it coalesces in solidarity um, across different races and also in respect for the dignity of work. Thank you, May. And Marion, we'll give you the last word. You know, uh, just before the pandemic started, I had my annual New Year's dinner. And, you know, I don't pay the restaurant up front. You know, I give them partial. And then somebody says, how come you're not paying them? I says, I will pay them. It's on trust. You know, they trust me and I get them the check, you know. And and the thing was, everything closed down right after my dinner. And I had the check in my hand, but I had nobody to give it to. You know, so then I had to check around and they said, send it to this place. So I sent it to that place. But the thing is that, you know, all those restaurant workers, I felt for them because they had no income. And, and, you know, I don't even know if they knew how to file for unemployment because there was nobody. The place was closed, you know, so I really felt for those people. And and Chinatown, you know, it was like 9-11. It was locked down. There was nobody walking around. And so, you know, with Apollo, you know, I feel that you know, we have a chance. And, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I'm still, I just went back on the board because came election time, we didn't have the body to put on there. So I told Virginia, it's either you or me. So, but Virginia has, you know, a lot of personal problems at this time. So I said, okay, put me on. And if I can find a replacement, they can have the spot. And, you know, May, I'm thinking of Donna. <laughs> you know so anyway i got to talk to donna because i said you know this you know my computer is was hacked so i have a problem with it so but you know but all these meetings are, are virtual these days and, and you know so you know and right now i'm dealing with uh, the city's um medical problem you know all the retirees yeah you know so it, it's a, it's a big issue at this point but anyway, you know, I'm glad we have a Paul. Thank you so much, Marion. And, um, uh, you know, for your friendship, for your extraordinary leadership for uh, many, many years. And uh, it's so amazing that uh, uh, you're back on the board. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, uh, for many of us, Apollo really has been uh, 
like a family. And so uh, the fact that uh, we can get uh, uh, Marion to rejoin the board after all these years is, is very special. So, so uh, please uh, be sure to uh, pick up the book, order the book, and use it as an educational resource, as an organizing resource. You can always get more copies through the UCLA Labor Center website. Uh, and if anyone wants to host or sponsor another book event, virtual or in person, we would be happy to do so. And Anthony, thanks so much for all your help today and for opening up the center for us.